Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Over the past couple of days, I've been pondering something about the Archbishop Vigano story that I haven't heard anyone else point out yet, and I thought I'd share this observation with you. It's one backed up by reports in the Catholic media, some from the height of the affliction, so many of us were a tad distracted with the strange logic behind the closure of the sacraments and the masses around the world. That observation is this. Vigano's claims of corruption in the Vatican are strikingly familiar to something that was said by Cardinal George Pell after he was acquitted by the Australian High Court of the stupid charges he had been convicted of. And I say stupid because if you're familiar with the specifics of what he was accused and convicted of, the logistics involved in making that a reality, and the bustling activity of a public mass said by an archbishop or a cardinal like I am, then you know these were dumb charges that didn't hold up to scrutiny. He was only convicted because Victoria is basically Australia's California, with all the anti-Catholic and more broadly speaking anti-Christian hate that has become institutionalized there. So I'm going to go over what Pell told the Catholic media in, in mid-April, as it didn't get a lot of play, after we focus on something Vigano said in his letter to the president. And then I'm going to give you some historical context. I suspect you're going to see the same connection I do. Or maybe I'm crazy, but let's have a look. And as always, research videos like this are made possible by the patrons of this channel. You do have my heartfelt thanks. So let's dive in. The pertinent paragraph from the Vigano letter is this. After speaking at length about the supernatural nature of the battle between good and evil and the reality of spiritual warfare, he says this, quote, Although it may seem disconcerting, the opposing alignments I have described are also found in religious circles. They are faithful shepherds who care for the flock of Christ, but there are also mercenary infidels who seek to scatter the flock and hand the sheep over to be devoured by ravenous wolves. It is not surprising that these mercenaries are allies of the children of darkness and hate the children of light. Just as there is an embedded state, there is also an embedded church that betrays its duties and forswears its proper commitments before God. Thus, the invisible enemy, whom good rulers fight against in public affairs, is also fought against by good shepherds in the ecclesiastical sphere. It is a spiritual battle, which I spoke about in my recent appeal, which was published on May 8th, end quote. So let's look at his appeal from the 8th of May, the one that caused such controversy internationally among Catholics, as some thought that this was the end for Vigano. In the appeal, Vigano spent a great deal of time describing the state of the world in the affliction, with the rise of authoritarian measures of control talk of forced imposition of medicine that will not only largely be untested, but are admitted by senior officials in the U.S. administration that it will probably not be all that effective anyway, and the absolute gusto with which the global economy was shut down by the powers that be. He then links all of this in the talk of establishing more global governance measures with this, quote, Finally, as pastors responsible for the flock of Christ, let us remember that the church firmly asserts her autonomy to govern, worship, and teach, 
This autonomy and freedom are an innate right that our Lord Jesus Christ was given her for the purpose of her proper ends. For this reason, as pastors, we firmly assert the right to decide autonomously on the celebration of Mass and the sacraments, just as we claim absolute autonomy in matters falling within our immediate jurisdiction, such as liturgical norms and ways of administering communion and the sacraments. The state has no right to interfere for any reason whatsoever in the sovereignty of the Church. Ecclesiastical authorities have never refused to collaborate with the state, but such collaboration does not authorize civil authorities to impose any sort of ban or restriction on public worship or the exercise of priestly ministry. The rights of God and of the faithful are the supreme law of the Church, which she neither intends to nor can abdicate. We ask that restrictions on the celebration of the public ceremonies be removed. End quote. Okay, so we have an accusation that there exists an embedded church and an embedded state, both of whom with frankly nefarious plans. Now remember the section of his letter to the president that speaks of the solve et coagula, which Dr. Marshall did a better job of explaining than I ever could. I'm sure you've seen it by now, but if not, go check out his video on that. In short, it involves Baphomet and the desire to break society down and rebuild it in the image of darkness. This is linked to the controls on the sacraments imposed by the state with the willing participation of the vast majority of bishops, with even the better bishops who are in charge of actual dioceses going along with these measures with nary a peep of protest. By the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that better bishops I read letters from on this channel are not in charge of dioceses. It's not a coincidence in the slightest. Now, I'm a few minutes into this and I haven't even brought up Cardinal Pell yet. Now, as you'll recall, Pell spent the last 13 months in prison before getting acquitted. He's been convicted of crimes in the vein of Ted McCarrick, despite the evidence being at best flimsy and the counts being frankly unbelievable. He was acquitted by the Australian High Court, which slammed the prosecution for the case they brought against him. Now, days after his victory, he spoke to the various Catholic media outlets. This is taken from Crux magazine, which claims to be taking the Catholic pulse, though I'm skeptical of them. He says of the Vatican corruption he'll be talking about here that he doesn't think that Francis or Cardinal Perlin are corrupt financially. He then goes on to say this, quote, Pope Francis's former finance advisor said in a television interview broadcast on Tuesday that some church officials believed he was prosecuted by Australian authorities because of the trouble he had caused in the Vatican with financial reforms. Most of the senior people in Rome who are in any way sympathetic to financial reform believe that they are linked to his prosecution, the 78-year-old cleric told Sky News. What was surprising was even my theological opponents in Rome didn't believe the stories of what he was accused of, he added. Pell said he did not have evidence of a link, but he suspected that a man who swore he had been harmed by Pell when uh, more than two decades ago had been used. Francis created the Secretariat for the Economy and named Pell its prefect as key part of its financial reform plans after being elected pope in 2013. Pell had tried to wrestle the Holy See's opaque finances in order and align them with international standards, but his efforts and brusque style were rebuffed repeatedly by the Vatican's old guard. End quote. And again, later he says neither Cardinal Pell nor Pope Francis are corrupt in this way. Did you notice something here? Recall what post Vigano had in the Roman Curia before being sent to the United States by Benedict XVI. He, too, was doing a review of Vatican finances. He had found millions, perhaps billions of dollars off the books, hidden away in secret funds. To be clear, when you do that, you make an enemy of yourself to anyone and everyone involved. 
This investigation was focused on the Vatican Bank, which had been formally established in the waning days of World War II by Pope Pius XII with some pretty questionable funds given by high-ranking officials of the losing side of that conflict, who knew that there was no chance they'd get a fair trial in the aftermath and sought ways to escape Europe. This was a reflection of diplomatic efforts the Vatican had been engaged in prior to the war, which gave rise to the current Vatican bureaucracy, and before the war, the Vatican had been uh, objecting to the Wilsonian era of, you know, the League of Nations and the Versailles Treaty. So you might understand why these guys went to the Vatican for help. That bureaucracy came out of the aftermath of the destruction of the Papal States in 1870. An interesting piece of scholarly research I have on this says the following, quote, Between 1870 and 1917, the Vatican sought to regain its former statehood by centralizing its government structure and growing a modern, efficient bureaucracy. Though these reforms failed to restore the Papal States, they did lead to the emergence of a cadre of Vatican functionaries, trained in civil and canon law that developed a new mode of diplomacy, eschewing the previous focus on reconstituting the Papal States, end quote. Among this activity are whispers of a sort of declaration of non-aggression between the Vatican's and certain kinds of operations of the stonecutters, specifically in the realm of finance, which would permit both sides to operate in the financial realm without persecution from the other side, while still recognizing that the two sides were very much in conflict. It's been said that this was a secret deal, and it absolutely set the stage for the conflicts the Church would be involved in geopolitically in the early 20th century and it would aid in the infiltration of the church that really picked up steam in the late 19th century, leading into the Second Vatican Council. At the heart of this is the permanent bureaucracy, this embedded church. The name Vigano uses is different than how I characterize it here, but that's due to the nature of our hosts, who don't like the term he used. It's worth noting that the Vatican Bank has been the source of constant controversy since the 1960s, all of which is outlined in 100% factual manner, other than the names of those involved in Malachi Martin's work of faction, which is a blend of fiction and uh, and fact, called Vatican, which can easily be gotten on Amazon for fairly cheap. And it's not sensational. It's literally just a story using the headlines and his insider information that is all verifiable from that time period. I do highly recommend it. The levers of power being used in Rome now by the St. Gallen Club that McCarrick was essential to are now and have been in control for decades. It isn't a coincidence that McCarrick was politically active around the Western world, known for his hobnobbing with politicians of any and all ideologies and party in the relatively free countries of the West. This is why Vigano linked the two together, and this is why I keep coming back to the Pell case. He got far too close to the truth, I suspect. In closing, I'll remind you of something else as well. In his first testimony letter back in 2018, Vigano made it clear that he had copies of documents that he had set up to go public if something happened to him, documents that would expose the corruption. He also was very public about fearing for his survival. Think about that for a moment. Let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please. Pray for the church and for the few decent political leaders we still have. They are sorely needed right now. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.